This podcast was brought to you by withaim.co. Part 2. The Prisoner of Sin. Episode 11. The Secrets Beneath the Floor. Missed Sunday dinner, was all Will said the next morning. Charlie didn't say anything, just went on sharpening his knives. Alma missed you too, and Sam asked about you, didn't you, son? There's a new comic strip in the funny papers, Sam said. Roy Rogers, I wanted to show you. The man and the boy looked at him, but Charlie didn't answer for a long time. Had things to do, he finally said. Chores. Nobody looks after me but me. Well, son, we try, you know, Alma and me. Will sounded a little irritated. I know that, Will, and I'm grateful. Sometimes I just need to be alone, private. It's not right, you know. There's something not right about it. Those people, it suits me fine. You know, they don't want you. Then they'll let me know. He hoped they wouldn't. He went for three weeks straight, hoping they wouldn't tell him to stop coming especially because the women from the CME came in Monday morning early, as they always did, and a few even said it was nice to see him yesterday at services. But they did. They let him know. On the third Sunday, right after Charlie had come home from the service and changed out of his church clothes, he was sitting on the porch just fixing it all in his mind when Louis Shadwell walked up the sidewalk into the part of town where Negroes never went, except to clean white people's houses, and stepped to the bottom of Charlie's porch. His face still glowed with the joy of preaching to his congregation. He was twenty-eight years old, dark-skinned, a little heavy but strong, you could tell. He wasn't yet the firebrand he was later to become with the sit-ins and the marches and getting his picture in the papers. That Sunday, he was just a nice, devout young man who was born shy and gentle and stayed that way until he found a reason to be otherwise. He wore gold-rimmed eyeglasses, and his clerical collar was white and stiff and tight against his dark, thick neck as though it had been issued him when he graduated from seminary before he gained the weight. Afternoon, Reverend Shadwell, said Charlie as he stood up. Please come join me. It's a little cold to sit outside, so come on in. They walked into the sitting room, and Shadwell sat on the sofa, not taking his coat off, as though he shouldn't really be there and wouldn't be staying long. He seemed so uncomfortable with his coat bunched up around his waist and the dog sniffing his feet. But Charlie didn't know what to offer him, so he just sat and waited. Shadwell cleared his throat, cleared it again. 
The thing is, he said, and then he stopped as though he didn't truly know what the thing was, although both he and Charlie knew well enough. The thing is, we appreciate it. I should have stayed later, longer, said Charlie. I should have said hello to some folks. I apologize. No need. You take what you need and leave the rest, and that's fine. But the thing is, well, we've talked, the elders and I, and we don't think it's a good idea. It just can't be. I'm sorry. You know there's no place else I'll go. You know that. I've been told, and that's a shame. Every man should have a spiritual life. It saved me from such degradation. And it could save you if you need saving. And I'm not making any judgments, and I mean no offense, none taken. But we can't give you what you need. And I won't explain why. There's no need. But I want to. I want you to know that this is not some unkindness on our part. I need, we need for you to know that. The thing is, we're grateful. What you've done coming to us is an act of both bravery and kindness. But you're not from around here. And there's things you just don't, can't understand. Charlie didn't say anything. He just called the dog over and sat with Jackie Robinson at his feet, and he waited. His heart was beating like thunder. He couldn't say why. It was like being called to the principal's office for some infraction he didn't remember committing. We are watched, Mr. Beale. Every time we set foot out the door, somebody is looking at everything we do. We are the most watched people on earth. Every step we take, we have to be careful. If we put even one foot wrong, even one of the children, our world could end. And I don't mean that in an imaginary way. It is a true fact. These people, my people, have no education except what we can provide for ourselves. Not one family owns or will ever own the house they live in. They are mostly owned, the houses, by either Mr. Glass or those twin sisters you're so fond of. And we go about our business and we put up with it, because there is nothing else we can do. Except believe, Mr. Beale, except worship in a broken-down storefront we pay the rent on, where we worship in peace, because we know that nobody in this town except us would ever set foot in there, not even Mr. Glass, who owns the place, not even him, as long as he gets his rent every month, and he does. Every eye in this town is on us, even when we sleep. And we can't stand it. We hide it every day, all day. But it is hateful and intolerable. It makes our stomachs hurt. 
Because the one thing we can't do, no matter how closely we're watched, the one thing we can never do is ever look back. Do you understand what I'm saying, Mr. Bale? There's no need to say any more, Mr. Shadwell. I won't be coming back. Um, so... No need to be. Tell the people thanks for having me. It meant something. I hope so, Mr. Beale. I hope so. Tell them for me. Tell them I'll remember. Ben Shadwell, the Reverend Louis Tobias Shadwell, as he came to be known, got up, and the two men shook hands, and he left, leaving Charlie alone in his cooling house with his quiet dog and no religion. No religion except sylvan glass. That night, lying in bed, he drew a crude portrait of her in his diary. He wasn't an artist, but he tried to get her face and features down the way he remembered them, so he could look at her on the days of the week that weren't Wednesday, so he'd always have her near, even when he was very, very old and around her head he drew a halo, a perfect circle, and colored it in with gold. Do you ever wish you could sit in on a conversation with some of your favorite authors and listen to them talk about their writing process, their path to publication, and of course their newest novels? Hi, I'm Marissa Meyer, best-selling author of The Lunar Chronicles, and I would love for you to check out the Happy Writer Podcast, where every week I talk with other writers about books, craft, inspiration, and how to bring a little more joy into our lives. The Happy Writer is available wherever you get your podcasts, or find us on Instagram at Happy Writer Podcast. We'll be back to daily bedtime tales right after this message. What if you could share your story with the world? What if you could inspire others with your passion, your message, or your vision? What if you had a team to help you craft the perfect story for your business or brand? Well, you can. And we at With AIM are here to make it happen. With AIM is more than just a podcast production company. We are your storytellers, your voice, and your partner in creating a podcast that will captivate your audience, showcase your brand's personality, and build a lasting relationship with your customers. So don't let your story go untold. Start your podcast today. Visit with aim.co slash podcast to learn more. That's with aim.co forward slash podcast. With AIM, be the voice of your brand. Chapter 16 It was getting too cold. Sam couldn't wait in the truck anymore. So on the third Wednesday, when they turned in the drive and parked around back of the house out of sight, Charlie came around and helped Sam down from the pickup, leaving Jackie Robinson in the cab. They walked over to the house and the door opened as soon as they stepped on the porch. There was an awkward moment as Sam looked up at Mrs. Glass, wary about going into a house he didn't know. She was dressed this time, high-heeled shoes, a navy blue dress with a red rose at the neck, 
her hair swept up in an impossible tangle of curls and ringlets, like something off a magazine cover. Bright red lips, scarlet nails, a plastic bracelet on her arm as red as the rose on her neck. The kitchen was hot, spotless, and it smelled good. Whatever else Bodie Glass spent all his money on, he didn't spend it on extravagant things for his house. The floor was plain, speckled linoleum. The kitchen table covered in checked oilcloth. There were straight, tall, oak farm chairs, just two of them, as though there were never any guests expected. Not a crumb on the floor or counter, covered in formica the color of the inside of an avocado, frilly, frail curtains at the windows, the only touch of grace or care. On the walls, there were pictures of stern old folks in stiff positions and sad-looking little girls with painted faces and frozen hands, a framed picture postcard of a big, grand house with formal gardens and palm trees around it, behind a big turquoise swimming pool, a souvenir of Hollywood. The room opened onto two others, a sitting room filled with drab furniture and a bright bedroom with an iron bed painted white, plain as dirt, but hung with some kind of filmy curtains all around the head of the bed, tied back with colorful ribbons and bows. Next to the bed was a yellowed photograph, a silver-framed picture of a pretty woman on her wedding day long ago. A staircase led upstairs to other rooms and other hallways, just like in Sam's house. Bedrooms, he guessed. Sam knew right away why it smelled good in the kitchen. She'd made cookies. They were piled on a blue willow plate on the kitchen table next to two short stacks of magazines. Sam, say hello to Mrs. Glass. Be a good boy. Hello, ma'am. Hello, Sam, she said, and he loved the sound of her voice, so young and sweet and fine, as though she'd grown up in a beautiful flower garden far away. I have some things for you. He walked toward the table. I made cookies with nuts, she said, and I got you these. She picked up one of the stacks. Look, funny books. I can't read yet. I can almost read. My mama and daddy read to me every night. These you can just look at the pictures and make up your own funny stories out of your own head. Look, Captain America and Captain Marvel. And look at this one. This is Donald Duck. He's bobbing for apples like at Halloween. But all he got was this big old mean lobster clamped down on his beak. Isn't that funny? Sam laughed, but he really didn't understand. He'd never seen a whole funny book, just the covers in the general store. He'd never seen a lobster either, and he didn't get the joke. He liked the other little ducks on the cover, wearing witches' hats and riding broomsticks dressed up for Halloween. But he was drawn right away to Captain Marvel Jr., a dark-haired, dark-eyed boy like Sam but older, about fourteen, dressed in blue and gold with a red cape and strong arms. 
the kind of boy Sam wanted to be when he grew up, with a lightning bolt across his chest, standing on top of a chest of gold coins that flew everywhere, surrounded by fierce pirates, a masted ship in the harbor. The books his parents read to him were more serious. The Wind and the Willows from his mother, or Mother Goose, and the Hardy Boys from his father. Sometimes his father would read him a wonderful, strange book he'd had since he was Sam's age, Poppy Ott's Pedigreed Pickles. Sam would follow the words on the page with his fingers while they read to him, and sometimes he would carefully pronounce the words, fixing them in his mind. He liked Frank and Joe Hardy, their small-town world filled with gangsters and spies, and adventures that never seemed to happen in Brownsburg. But these funny books were different, filled with colorful pictures and strange, exotic, dressed-up animals and men in capes who looked almost like some of the people he knew. Charlie helped him into a chair, and he turned the pages of the thin-papered magazines, excited to see what would happen next. And if you get tired of the comics, you can use these. She showed him a box of crayons and a pad of paper. And draw some pretty pictures. Would you like that? Yes, ma'am. Sam? Charlie squatted on his haunches by the chair. Mrs. Glass and I are going to go upstairs for a little while. So you be a good boy, and don't make any noise, and just keep yourself busy and have some cookies. Do you think that'll be okay? I think so. What's a lobster, Bebo? I'll tell you later on the way home. Just be patient, and don't come in the room. Charlie and Mrs. Glass went up the stairs, and Sam was alone in the kitchen with his picture books and his cookies. He should have been happy, but he wasn't. He worried about Jackie Robinson in the cold. He didn't like being left in a strange room, or something was going on in another room, but he didn't know what it was. He found it hard to look at the books or eat the cookies. It was completely quiet for a while. Then something like voices, like Whispers came through the floor, but no sounds of feet moving. They must be sitting down, Sam thought, talking very quietly. But what were they talking about? Maybe they were talking about him, and that worried Sam. He'd been polite. He, he'd laughed at the duck, even if he didn't understand what was so funny. And he chewed on a cookie, trying to figure it out. Then the noises began, tiny, soft noises blunted by the thickness of the floor, and all the more mysterious for that. He heard music playing above him, and a woman's voice singing. It wasn't hillbilly music. It was some other kind, softer, with other instruments playing. Maybe they were dancing dancing slow. He knew it was part of the secret, and he knew, he felt it in his skin, that he must never tell, 
about the music or the funny books with strange pictures his mother wouldn't approve of or of being left alone in the kitchen with the dog in the car or about the cookies and the milk. He understood he must never say anything about this whole day. He wasn't here. They weren't here. Sam or Charlie or Mrs. Glass. He just knew that. He stopped reading or eating. He just sat. He just sat and listened. Sometimes it sounded like Charlie and the woman were laughing. Sometimes it sounded like Charlie was in pain and his heart raced with fear for Bebo. If Bebo got hurt, how would he get home? He heard what must have been shoes dropping on the floor and more laughing, giggling from her. Then it was really quiet again, but only for a little bit. He heard Charlie groan and what sounded almost like a wail from the woman, followed quickly by Charlie's low voice, different, harder, as he said quickly, Hush, Sylvan, hush. Sam heard that, and then she was quiet as church during prayers, silent as his room when his mother turned out the light at night. Maybe they were dead. After what seemed like a long time, a door opened and Charlie came down. He looked different, strange and, and young and sleepy and excited all at the same time. His shoes were in his hand and he sat down on the other chair and started putting them on. He wouldn't look at Sam as he laced them up, and the boy pretended to be reading the books and took a few bites of a cookie. They both looked up, and Mrs. Glass was standing in the doorway. She was barefoot, too. She wasn't wearing her dress anymore, just a white, silky slip like his mother wore under her dress. Her face was pale, and all the red was gone from her lips. Her hair was tangled down around her shoulders, she just stood there in her slip and her bracelet, smoking a cigarette in a short cigarette holder. Her lips looked plump and rounder and pink as a baby's. She didn't say anything to anybody, and nobody spoke to her. Charlie stood up, tightened his belt, and reached for his coat. Ready to go, Sam? His voice was soft and kind, almost like a woman's. Get your coat on. We're leaving. Charlie kept his eyes on Mrs. Glass the whole time, not even noticing that Sam had never taken his coat off in the first place. Sam started to put the few crayons back in the box. Charlie looked around briefly. Don't bother with that now. It's all right. We have to go. They moved to the door. Sam knew he was supposed to leave the funny books on the table. The woman finished her cigarette and moved back into the next room, and they heard her going slowly up the staircase. She never even said goodbye. In the truck, Charlie held Jackie Robinson to his chest and kissed the top of his head. He put his arm out gently and touched Sam's hair. 
If they ask why we're late, just tell them Mr. Potter was late getting to the slaughterhouse with the beef, okay? Okay, Bebo. The truck didn't catch at first, but then it did. They backed up and turned around and headed down the driveway. Charlie turned onto the road without even looking, but there weren't any cars on the road, so nobody got hurt. There was a scratch on Charlie's neck, no more than the length of Sam's little finger, but a drop of blood had hardened on the end, just above his shirt collar. His coat was open, as though he couldn't feel the cold, even though the truck took a while to heat up. Sam shivered and rubbed his hands together. Even after the heat of the kitchen, once he was in the cold of the truck, he felt as though he would never, ever be warm again.